Advent, for us, it's our new year. We begin anew by reflecting on the past and looking forward to the future. When I was in Israel, we celebrated Yom Kippur, which is their new year, and the entire country shuts down. No public travel. No working. Everything is closed. No taxis, no buses. If you're caught driving, you get a ticket. They take it very seriously. They're celebrations of religious nature. And of course, they can do that because it's an Israeli nation, I guess. We don't inflict upon others our belief system, but hopefully we live it. Hopefully that's the witness we give forth, not force and fear, but rather just living it. Regardless of what the rest of the world is doing, we, for instance, on the Lord's Day, take it seriously. We're children of God. This is what our Father wants of us, so we rest on this day. We don't have to inflict it upon others who don't share our belief, but rather we live out our convictions in our own little simple ways, which gives the witness. As we begin Advent, it's a great time for us, as I said, to reflect, to take an inventory. Because Advent is one of those moments where we're kind of like balancing in between two things, the first coming of the Lord and the second coming. We, as Jesus just said, need to be awake. He's coming again. As we've been reflecting last year, the end of last year up until today, the judgment scenes that we saw all coming up, that our goal as, as Christians should be that we have a loving Father and we shouldn't fear judgment. Rather, we should look forward to it with great joy because we've been faithful. And on that day, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And all of our labors here on this pilgrim journey we call life will come to its great fruition and we'll be able to see God face to face and all those who have gone before us when we call the communion of saints. Isaiah is a great prophet, and we're going to hear from him an awful lot during this season. He is one of the premier prophets, if you will. He's coming on the scene at the point where the 12 tribes have divided as a result of sin. Isn't that what sin does? So all the images in Scripture of, of lepers, that's the imagery. You know, members falling off the body going into isolation, divided. And Jesus has come for reconciliation, to bring back the members of the body, to bring them back into a solid body. So Isaiah is coming at a time where the people are deeply depressed, deeply frustrated, horribly scared. The northern kingdom has been taken over by Assyria, and the ten tribes to the north have been exiled. I think we all can appreciate somewhat being in a situation like that where we're cut off. Even at the end of the year when parents become empty nesters, there's a sense of being cut off. Financially, they're probably happy, but there's another part, well, not if they're paying for their college. <laughs> but there's a part of us that's both sad and happy we know that this is good, kicking that bird out of the nest is a good thing, but yet, what if they don't fly? So, this is the, 
the, the scene. They've just gone through this horrible, horrible takeover by Assyria. And the, all of their relatives and friends are scattered. Where are they? they you know, it's not like the internet. You, or you make a phone call. Hey, did you get there all right? Are you safe and sound? Where are they? We don't know. Where are we? What's going to happen to us? What about our economy? What about our fields? What about our property? It's all been taken over. That's a deeply dark and depressing moment. And all of a sudden, Isaiah comes on the scene and he says, Look, if you are open, God will create a mountain for you, and all peoples will stream toward it. Not all peoples in the sense of literally all people, and not a mountain in the sense of a literal mountain. Uh, Zion is not the highest mountain, but yet it's a figure, an image of the house of the Lord. It's where the temple will be built, Jerusalem. And so even in the Holy Land today, if, you, if you're going to Jerusalem, no matter where you are in the country, you say, we're going up to Jerusalem. You're never going down because it's an image of us being raised up, no longer just humans, but now we're being divinized. This is what happens in baptism. God is raising up a fallen little soul, and he's given it eternal, the possibility for eternal life, the opportunity to respond to grace. Here's a great image for us with Isaiah speaking to a very downtrodden, broken people, a sinful little soul that has been crushed by original sin, if you will. And all of a sudden he's saying, nope, God is providing an opportunity for you if you choose. No force, no fear, all choice. It will be the highest mountain. Come. Let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob that he may instruct us in his ways. As I said, we're in the middle. We're, we've already begun and we're still continuing on. This mountain has been established. This new Zion, this new Israel, this new Jerusalem is you, the church, because of Jesus. Jesus is if you will, the mountain of God. You and I, though, we've been told, our temples of the Holy Spirit, we are the house of the Lord now. So in this in-between time, how important it is for us to stay awake. The second reading speaks to this, Romans. Paul is speaking. You've been instructed. You've been at the mountain, and instruction has come forth from it. The church has taught you the mysteries of faith. We're not blindly wandering like they were in the Old Testament. We've been very, given a very clear and concise direction in the person of Jesus Christ. We watch how he lived. We listen to his teaching. We've received his Holy Spirit. And now you and I are called to live our life differently. Conduct yourselves properly as in the day, not in the night. We've been given a moral way of life, a moral code. Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit, we're not just spirits waiting to be burst out from this tomb that we call skin. No, the incarnation has shown us the body is critical. The body speaks on behalf of God, a truth. 
And so we must take care of the body, not in an obsessive way, but just in a Christian way, that it's a temple. So Jesus tells us today to be on guard because for you and I, we're waiting for a second coming. That second coming where, as I said at the beginning, he'll open those doors that have been locked and he'll say, you are welcome to your father's home. Well done, good and faithful servant. In the past, they've been asleep. Even though God sent messengers to them, priests, prophets, king, Noah, they all were asleep until the flood came and carried them all away as we just heard. But that day is near for you and I, closer today than it was yesterday. We are near to our salvation now than we were yesterday. If the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, if I were to tell you definitively, Jesus gave me a text this morning. He's coming this afternoon at 4 o'clock. I would think most of us, well, none of you, you don't listen to me. Who we try to pinch me. If we knew, if we were guaranteed that this was the day, I think we probably would have our affairs in order, wouldn't we? Jesus is telling every day is that day. Every day is the coming of the Lord because the kingdom of God is at hand because of him, because of what Jesus has done. As we go through our week this week, of first week of Advent, we're invited to take a moment to reflect. Where do we want to be at the end of this year? Which is, again, an image. Where do we want to be at the end of our life? When that beautiful day comes, or that day of horror, whichever you choose, when that day comes, will you be where you want to be? Some want the day of horror. They live it daily. It's tragic. They choose hatred. They choose sin. They choose alienation. They choose isolation. We call this hell. They choose it every day. And then there's others who choose forgiveness, mercy, kindness, repentance, the work of conversion, the work of union with God, union with brother and sister. I love Advent. So many of us pass it right by. Christmas tree's already up. You wouldn't do that when you're, you don't, you can't do that when you're pregnant, can you? Presto, baby's here. You carry that baby for a while. Advent is different than Lent. We're in purple. There's a spirit of repentance about it. It's a different type of repentance than Lent. It's a repentance of preparation. It's a sense of someone who, adults who have been living in a house that is decorated and adorned for adults. Poison under the cabinet, knickknacks on the counter, things that a child could swallow. The repentance is putting those all away in preparation for a baby looking around the room with new eyes. What is a danger for this child? What needs to be put away, locked up? This is what we should be doing spiritually in our house so that when the baby, Jesus, comes, 
He will be welcomed into a home that is safe and sound. So that repentance is different than Lent, where we look back and say, I did that to him by my choices, by my inactions. I did that to him, and I'm sorry. Completely different repentance. So let's take this Advent as a gift. What needs to be rearranged in our heart, in our mind, in the temple, so that there will be a welcome place, a safe place, a harbor for the baby Jesus when he comes?